church. It is so good to be with you this morning. What a privilege to worship our Lord the way that we have, our Lord and Savior, together and to declare His greatness and His goodness. He is worthy of our praise and adoration, and may we be willing to surrender all of ourselves to a God that gave all of Himself on the cross for you and for me. He is a mighty deliverer, and because He lives, we can face tomorrow. So wherever you are this morning, would you just praise the name of Jesus for a few moments? Would you declare His greatness? Would you de declare His goodness? Everyone in the house, would, can we declare His love this morning? Lord, we love you. We praise you. We, we praise your precious name. And may you be magnified in and through our time this morning. He's so worthy. Let's pray together. Father God, we gather together today in the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. We commit this time to you, we commit our lives to you, and we ask that you would come and have your way in us and transform us for your purposes and for your glory. Lord, as we take the steps to becoming the church that you prayed for, we ask that you would lead us and guide us and empower us by your Spirit to establish foundations that would bring you glory communicate your truth and draw a lost world unto your saving light may we be a church that truly resembles the fullness of who you are may we become ambassadors of your truth and your love and reflect your glory in all that we do we ask this in jesus name amen amen well frontline it's an honor to be with you all this morning and to preach the good news of the gospel Today is week three of Vision Month, and we are going to pick up from where we left off last week. But just to recap briefly, in the first two weeks of Vision Month, we have been looking at the foundations and fundamentals of the original design and purpose of the church. We began with that foundational statement in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And that revelation that Peter had of Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah, would be the very foundation on which the church would be built. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. And if we build on that foundation, He will give us the keys of the kingdom of heaven to unlock the truth that will defeat the many kingdoms of darkness in our world. And no matter what the enemy unleashes on the church, the church that Jesus builds will prevail. Amen? Last week when we were together, we started in John chapter 17 and we looked at what Jesus himself prayed to the Father and the church that he prayed for. And what you should know is that in John chapter 17, you have a monumental chapter because what you're reading is the work of Jesus interceding for you and for me. The Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. And we get a small piece of how he does that in the longest prayer recorded of Jesus to his Father in the Scripture. Here he is praying for his followers, those who were following him in the beginning and all those who would follow him in the future. He was praying for his church, and that includes you and me. And in John chapter 17, we find that there are four marks to a true church. Four characteristics that every true church should have. We began looking at that question and answering that question last time we were together. 
And I shared two of the four characteristics. We noted that every true church, the church that Jesus prayed for, should be firstly a church that demonstrates the glory of God, number one. And secondly, a church that communicates God's truth. That number one, when we gather together, God takes center stage. He is the star of the show. It is all about Him. The primary reason we meet together is not to fellowship or, or evangelism. It's not just to meet the needs of people or to encourage people or to build them up. Yes, all of those things are important and should happen. But primarily, we come together to live for His glory. And church, the best way we can live for His glory effectively is by that second thing that we looked at. To communicate God's truth. To be a church that is committed to communicating the absolute truth. And so you could say that the church, the true church, the church that Jesus prayed for is both theocentric, which means God-centered, and bibliocentric, which means Bible-centered. It is centered on God and His glory, and to ensure that that always remains a primary function, it is bibliocentric, centered on the Scripture, which shows us how that can happen. Now, according to Jesus, there are two more characteristics that He, the founder, is praying for and anticipating His community to become. And both these qualities that we're going to look at today focus on our relationship to the world. Those who are inside the church and how we should relate to those who are outside the church. So let me begin with the third characteristic. Number three. The church that Jesus prayed for is a church that infiltrates the world. Every true church will infiltrate and penetrate the world. Let's start reading in John chapter 17 from verse 14. Jesus praying to his father says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. This passage clearly indicates that Jesus anticipated that his followers would go out into the world and spread the word of truth. In verse 18 he says, As you have sent me, I have also sent them. Furthermore, if you look down at verse 20, he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So again, it's pretty clear that Jesus anticipated that his followers are going to go out and preach the word, to preach the truth. And there will be some people who will hear that truth, receive that truth, and believe in Jesus. Now in verse 18, church, there is an important word that we need to take note of. It says in verse 18, As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And it's the word sent. It's the Greek word apostello, and it means to send a message, to send word, to send someone out for a particular purpose by someone who is in authority. And listen to this. It also means to place the sickle, 
to get ready so that you can begin to harvest. The Greek language is so descriptive. So Jesus' plan was for his followers to infiltrate the world around them with the truth so that more might believe in him. That was his prayer for his community. You see, the church is the only community on the earth that exists for the benefit of non-members. Let me say that again because it's important. The church is the only community on the earth that exists for the benefit of non-members. Or you could say it's the only forgiven community that exists for the benefit of the unforgiven. And not forgiven because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. You see, we must never allow the church to become a bless me club. A bless me club or a ratings column. You know what I mean? In other words, here I am. I've got two hours to be blessed. It better be good. I want to be blessed now. And after church, I'm going to rate the word. I'm going to rate the worship and how blessed I felt. Listen, church, we want you to be blessed. We should all be blessed when we gather together as the saints by the presence of God. But a blessing from God and the feeling we get at church is secondary to the primary purpose of gathering. The purpose isn't that we should just be blessed and pampered and, and come to consume. The purpose is that we glorify God, that we hear the, the preaching of the word of truth, that the fivefold would be in operation because all of that equips us to go out and do something with it. And look, church, Jesus made it very clear to his disciples that it's always time to evangelize. There aren't only certain seasons or certain times that are better times to get the message out. It's always time for harvest. There are always people who need to hear the good news of the gospel. There are always people who are ready to respond to the good news of the gospel. In John chapter 4, Jesus says to his disciples, Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. That's a really important verse for us as believers because churches have a tendency to, over time to, to, to turn inward to warn themselves rather than outward toward the world. They may begin with an outward focus, an evangelistic focus, where we want to change our community, we want to change our world, but over time, most churches start to turn inward. Even though Jesus said, go out into all the world, it seems that the message of the church is to come to church. Come hear the message, right? And yes, that's important. We want people to come to church and to come and hear the message of truth. But the coming to church and the coming to hear the message and being equipped by the fivefold in the process and developing in your gifting is simply a preparation so that we might go out and make a difference. There is a story about an old church in England that had a beautiful old building. It was an old cathedral. And it began with a very, very important uh, purpose statement. And they put this purpose statement on a sign outside their church. And it read, we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified, which was taken directly out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. That was a sign in front of the church. But over the years, the ivy that was growing around the church started to grow up on the sign. 
eventually up at the sun until the last word was obscured. So when you looked up, you would see, we preach Christ. That's still good. That's still a good purpose statement. But as you can imagine, over time, the RV kept on growing until all you could see is, we preach. And nobody cut it down. Nobody dealt with it. So you can imagine what's going to happen next. Over the years, the only word you could see over that church was the word we. And what eventually happened to that church is it died. Any church that turns inward and makes it all about we, us, mine, is going to die. And this is really an area where we believe the Lord is calling us to, sharp, to focus sharply on this year. To be a church that knows its purpose, a church that grows in that purpose, and a church that goes out with that purpose. To know, to grow, and to go. A church that infiltrates the world because this is what Jesus prayed for. It is important for us to remember that the call of the church is not to fill the church. The call of the church is to fill heaven with as many people as possible. Let me give you the fourth characteristic. The church that Jesus prayed for is a church that should emulate God's love. We are to imitate God's love. We come to the final part of this prayer in verse 20, and it's the most exciting part of this prayer because, because you're in it. He's praying for you. It says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's referring to us. It goes on to say from verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared them to, to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. That's quite a mouthful, church, but did you notice the theme that is coming out of that passage of Scripture? Four times Jesus prays for oneness and unity, that they may be one as we are one. Which is very interesting because of all the things that Jesus prayed for in looking to the future of the church, what he prays for is, is not our safety. He does not pray for our health. He does not pray for our financial successes. He doesn't even pray for our happiness. He prays for unity. That's noteworthy, right? Because that's high on his list. That they may be one as we are one. Now, church, let me explain unity because I want you to know what it does not mean. Unity is not unanimity. He's not somehow praying for some ecclesiastical ecumenism where we're just going to forget denominations and all get together in one group and, and hold arms together and agree on everything and sing the same songs and just all get along. 
I don't think that's going to happen. Because as I read the New Testament, even the best and closest followers of Christ didn't always see eye to eye. They didn't always get along. For instance, there was a disagreement among the apostles as to who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And at one point, two of the apostles were asking Jesus to sit in the kingdom of God, one on the right hand and one on the left hand, which brought up the whole argument again. Peter and Paul disagreed about the law in relationship to the Galatian Christians. There's a couple of chapters in Galatians all about that. The Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15 had a falling out. They had a quarrel as to the requirements of salvation. And then there's the classic argument between Paul and Barnabas. They had a falling out. And it says that the contention between them was so sharp that they split company into two completely separate groups. That's in the Bible. That's just the early church. So where Jesus says, I am praying that they may be one. He's not praying for unanimity and he's not praying for uniformity. Because unity is not uniformity. Where we're all going to think the same, where we're all going to act the same and read out of the, the same version of the Bible. Church, we're not going to agree on everything. Somebody once said, if you find two people who agree on everything all the time, one of them isn't thinking. <laughs> so we're not going to agree on every topic. We're not going to agree on every theological subject. We're not going to agree on every song, right? Because some of you may have listened to one of the songs this morning and thought, you know what? I hope we never sing that song again. But someone else is thinking, I wish we would sing that song more often. That's just the way it is. I guess that's just our style. If you have siblings, you know what unity and diversity are all about. You're one family, but you're very different from one another in that family. I mean, you have some children who are high-spirited and just off the wall sometimes, but, but one who's very, very quiet and off to himself or herself. You may have one person who's a morning person and another person who's a night person. Very different personalities, but still one family. So what am I saying? There is unity in diversity. Welcome to the church. All parts of the body are very different, but when they work together, they are an unstoppable force. You see, in the churches, you get some, some fuzzy fundamentalists. You get some crazy charismatics. You get some reformed, and I guess you get some, some deformed. Just kidding. <laughs> you get some pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. Some prefer stained glass windows, candles, the organ and hymns, and others prefer guitar, smoke, and flashing lights. But we're still God's people. It's unrealistic to think that we're going to agree on everything. And it's a healthy thing that there are different churches in this community and other communities to accommodate all the different types of people with different styles and different ways. So when Jesus prays and says that they may be one as we are one, what is he praying for? Just listen carefully. Jesus is praying for unity based on truth. Unity based on truth. And in particular, unity based on the, upon the revelation of who Jesus Christ is and what he came to do. That's what he prayed for. And it's not something that Jesus was hoping would happen. It is something that he was expecting would happen. 
Go back to verse 8. It says, For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for those for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Church, did you see that? Our unity is based on the belief that Jesus came here to do the Father's will. That's what he said. So here's what it means. I'm a Christian the same way that you're a Christian. I believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ sent from heaven to die on the cross for my sins. You are saved by that same belief. My Savior, if you're saved by Christ, is your Savior. That's the unity. So if you believe that Jesus Christ has been sent forth from the Father to save your sins and He died on a cross for that, we are family. If you don't believe in that, we ain't family. You might be a neighbor, you might be a really nice person, but we're not family. Because there are certain things that we would call the essentials of the, the Christian faith. Other things we would call non-essentials. When it comes to essentials, we divide over that. We make a division. Because if you have a weird idea about Jesus, a weird idea that's not biblical about how you get saved and you go to heaven, we're not family. If you pray in any other name than the name of Jesus, we are divided. But if you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that the Bible says he's come to do the Father's will, to die on a cross for your sins, and that he's calling you to live a holy life, you can have differences in opinions about pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. You can have differences about different styles of worship, etc., etc., because that is non-essential, but we are still family. Now, Jesus, as I mentioned, prays for unity based on truth four times in this last section. Four times, over and over and over again, he prays that we may be one, let them be one as we are one. So it's pretty important for him to repeat to the, to the Father four times. But why? Why is it so important? Look again at verse 21. It says that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. That's the unity. And here it is. Here's why it's important. That the world may believe that you sent me. Why is unity important? That the world may believe that Jesus was sent. You see, unity helps create belief. Our unity makes outsiders want to be a part of our community. They are looking for a real place that gives authentic love and is together on the essentials. They are looking for something like that. And when they see it in us, that's attractive to them because they can't get that at the country club. They can't get that at the drinking club or any other club. They can get it in a church that is united. 
Church, in other words, what I'm saying is that unity among Christians proves the reality of the Christian message. This is so important, and I want you to write this down. Unity among Christians proves the reality of the Christian message. Because church, we live before watchful eyes in this world. And the world is noticing with great attention our unity or disunity. Imagine for a moment how ridiculous it seems to an unbeliever when they look at churches and they see churches fighting over non-essentials. The styles of music, the, the length of hair, the type of clothing, all the arguments and all the politics. I mean, it's crazy because we're out there supposedly trying to rescue them from their plight and bring them into the family of God. And they're saying, listen, I don't need rescuing. I don't need to come into your family because your family is like a soap opera. So division in the church, nitpicking and quarreling in the church will turn people off. It will send them away. I want you to see quite a powerful statement that Christian author Paul, Paul Bullheimer wrote about disunity in the church. He said, The continuous and widespread fragmentation of the church has been the scandal of the ages. It has been Satan's master strategy. The sin of disunity probably has caused more souls to be lost than all other sins combined. Powerful statement and an indictment against the church. And I would say to a large degree it's true. Because Christians should not be dividing over the non-essentials. You know, church, when you think about your New Testament for a moment, there were arguments within congregations back then. And Paul would confront these issues in his letters to the churches. People were arguing over things like, like food and drink. And Paul never said, listen, because you disagree, you take this group and you go down that street and you start a church for meat eaters only. And then you take this group and you take, go, take them down that street and start a church for non-meat eaters only. No. He encouraged them to work it out. He even says in Romans chapter 14, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, he was highlighting what was really important. He encouraged people to get over these things, and if it were going to cause someone to stumble in their faith, then rather abstain completely. Because let's face it, unity is much more important than a piece of steak, right? Those are non-essentials. Let there be unity over the essentials. And church, as I was thinking about what Jesus spoke about, unity and love, I believe it is unity in the truth that will create an atmosphere where love will abound. I believe that. But that's a sermon for another day. As I close this morning, I want to emphasize that it is our desire to become the people that God intended us to become. The church that Jesus prayed for. One that would demonstrate His glory. One that would communicate God's truth. One that would infiltrate the world and one that would emulate His love. If we don't, if that isn't what we're fixed on doing and becoming, then we're going to become a place where people come to visit occasionally. 
a place of entertainment. Instead of a place that God intended, a place where people would do life together. A place that is so authentic in its love for one another that others want to become a part of it. And I ask you that question again. Do you want to be a part of that type of church? The type of church that Jesus prayed for. Father God, how thankful we are as the church of today that our Lord Jesus prayed this prayer. That John wrote it down and we can thousands of years later read what our Jesus expected, anticipated, and rose from the dead to ensure would be his church. I pray that we individually, as well as collectively, would be those who live for your glory, communicate and live the absolute truth in the word of God, that we would infiltrate the world around us, rescuing souls from it, and that we would emulate your love to one another in our church, in our community, and to cities and nations. Grant us the grace to become the church that you prayed for. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Frontline family. I'd like to call on Pastor Renal. Again, has, she has a few things that she's going to add on to that. Have a blessed Sunday further. We love you. Good morning, church. That is a powerful message. I believe we've all been challenged this morning in some way or another, and I encourage you to go back and re-listen to these last couple of weeks as I believe it's very directional as to where God is taking us as a church. I was hoping this morning to come and give a bit more detail on how our gatherings are going to be looking when we come together on the 7th of March, and I just felt like such a restraint. Um, truthfully we don't actually know all the details but this week uh, we had such a clear instruction and the instruction was this we are stepping into a season where we need to tap in to what the Spirit is saying moment by moment and so this is our pursuit What keeps coming up in our conversations is the book of Acts, the church of Acts. And there are some aspects that we believe God has been highlighting. Things like prayer. This house will be a house of prayer. Worship. That we will offer up a priestly worship. What does that mean? Worship that ministers straight to the heart of God, where He becomes the focus. Word, where absolute truth is preached from this pulpit. The breaking of bread as we keep in front of us the cross. Because when we ponder on that, we realize that you and I are true miracles because of the cross testimonies because the word is clear that we overcome by our testimonies and the truth is that you and I have a story a redemptive story 
And that story carries the potential to bring someone else into the saving knowledge of Jesus. So yes, testimonies will be shared. Fellowship. As we walk in this unity, one heart, one mind, one purpose, one mandate, that we fellowship like family. Those are guiding principles that continue to come up. Things in Ephesians and Corinthians about the gifts. That we firstly get to identify the gift, then develop it, but most importantly use it. Why? Because it builds up the body of Christ. That the fivefold continuously equips the saints that you and I can do exactly what God asks us to do. Church, these are guiding principles that God has been given us, but I'm so aware that we stand the risk of creating a new structure, if I can say that, when we focus on how we're going to do this. And truth is, God has been and is in the process of shaking structure. Hebrews 12 is clear. He's shaking all that needs to be shaken in order to ensure that what cannot be shaken remains standing. And so we do not want to go into the season trying to create a new model or a new structure. What we're going to do is tap in to what the Spirit is saying. Tap into what He's saying. Yesterday, I, wo I woke up with these words. It was as if someone actually woke me up speaking these words saying, I'm calling my church to a higher standard. I'm calling my church to a higher standard. Church, we cannot do what we did last year. And we cannot be what we were last year. God is calling us to a higher standard. And what is clear through COVID is that religion and religious activities will not sustain us. It will not sustain us. And so it is going to require for us to shake off those religious activities and mindsets and to step into what God is asking in this new season because He's calling us higher. And so this morning I chose to not share the detail, even though we don't have it all, <laughs> but to not share the detail because that is not our focus. The focus is ensuring that when we step through these doors and when we step out of these doors after the 7th of March, that we become a people who is obedient to what the Spirit is saying, that is open to the move of the Spirit, that we do not restrict what He's wanting to do, that we will be a people who will demonstrate the glory of God, who will live by absolute truth, that will go out and who will walk in love and in unity. And so this morning, as I end off, I want to declare that we at Frontline will not be known as a people who are religious, who are complacent and comfortable and lukewarm. We will not be known as a people who draw back and retreat or who fall away because Scripture is clear that those days are coming. What I want to declare today is that we will be a people who demonstrates the glory of God. Who 
are moving into maturity. What is maturity representing Christ, looking like Him? That we will be a people who are walking in maturity. That we are people who live by a higher standard. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Tapping in and being led by His Spirit. That is who we will be. Can we pray together? Father, today, as I heard those words clearly, I'm calling my people, my church, to a higher standard. God, I ask today that each one of us, listening online and in the house, will align ourselves to what you're asking in this next season. That we will be a people who will be led by your Spirit in every detail that will say, here I am, Lord, send me, use me, do a work in me, I pray. Father, I bless our family today. I ask God that you would go before them this week and you would continue to stir hearts and align us to purpose, I pray. Until we meet again, Father, we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.